This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. And we got a great show for you today. The number one show at 5 o'clock. This is a TriCast and uh, WABC Radio 770, WLIR, and 770 uh, AM, The Answer. Uh, 970 AM, The Answer. Sorry. Judge Weinberg and Governor Patterson, Common Sense Democrats are here. Ed Cox, Common Sense Republican. Lydia, who do we have on now? Right now we have on Miranda Devine. She's a New York Post columnist, born in Brooklyn. I like to uh, stress that fact, but from from Australia as well. Welcome back to Cats at Night. I read your recent column, Miranda, about Mayor Adams lamenting about all the migrants that are filling the homeless shelters. I mean, does he know where they're coming from or not? Hi, Lydia and John. Just one correction there. It's not uh, Brooklyn. It was Queens. Oh, Queens. oh, oh, I'm yes. sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. So you, no you, didn't, you didn't root for the Dodgers, the Brooklyn no, Dodgers. No, exactly, exactly. No, I think it's a little bit more authentic there, But um, although I haven't got the accent. Um, <laughs> yes, look, uh, I, I, I mean, how ridiculous that um, Eric Adams, we have known that these migrant flights have been flying in since last summer and they're now at a stage where there are so many of them. They've had to have an over, overflow airport um, in the Hudson Valley, Stewart International, because the White Plains Airport can't handle them all. They're coming in every single night. There's, you know, around about 120, 140 uh, migrants on each plane, illegal migrants from the southern border who are just dropped off there they have charter buses paid for again by the federal government that then take them all over the tri-state area. We've seen them in the Bronx. We've seen them dropped off in Queens and Yonkers. Um, they are all over the place and they are using up city facilities. I mean, I wrote a column about this two months ago because um, one of our photographers followed a bus to um, affordable housing that is paid for and owned by the city that is supposed to be for homeless people, for New Yorkers, for American citizens who are down on their luck. But instead, it's being filled up every single night with these illegal migrants who have crossed the border, broken our laws. They're probably, they could be extremely nice people. We don't know. We don't know who they are. But what we do know is they broke the law to get here, and that is not on, and they're taking resources from the city, and now Eric Adams has suddenly woken up a year too late, and instead of blaming Joe Biden, who is to blame, uh, and Mayorkas, who is to blame, he tries to blame the border states, Texas and Arizona, because they have decided that they're going to pull a stunt, those governors, and they've been sending a few buses to D.C. with illegal migrants on them, just to make the point to the federal government 
that you cannot burden Texas and Arizona, the border states, with this unchecked illegal migration, more than 3 million border crosses just in Biden's time, and they're doing nothing at all to check it. So uh, for Eric Adams to be so disingenuous, yes, it's true that our uh, safety net in New York, social safety net, is overloaded, is buckling under the strain, but he needs to put the pressure on Joe Biden to secure the border. Uh, Mr. Vine, this is David Patterson. Did the mayor talk at all about the planes? Like he's talking about that the people got here. Did he talk about how they got here? Didn't mention anything about that. He he basically said, oh, it's all Texas and Arizona's fault, and maybe there's a little bit of the federal government. Doesn't mention the planes. Now, we have run, I don't know, two dozen stories in the New York Post since we first broke the story in October. We have had it on the front page. Um, it's been on Fox News. It, it, you know, here's the mayor of New York. Does he not read the front page of the New York Post? He knows full well, so does Kathy Hochul, uh, that these planes are coming in. I mean, the Stewart International Airport is run by the Port Authority. That has to have the governor's say so. So they know what's going on. Uh, the governor has talked about giving free Medicaid to uh you know, non, non-citizens, non uh, they know what's going on and they're complicit with the federal government. But now, because the homeless shelters, because they're bursting at the seams, because the problem is spilling over into public view, now Eric Adams is mentioning it. And what he, his solution? Ask for more money for the fed, from the feds. That's not solving the problem. You just, there are only finite resources in this city. He should, instead of partying every night at Zero Bond and the other nightclubs, the mayor should get his chauffeur-driven mayoral limo to take him to White Plains one night, do what we did in the wee hours of the morning, watch these planes come in and actually confront them and say, what are you doing? Why is the federal government completing the people smugglers, the cartels, people smugglers, and then Joe Biden and Mayorkas spread them out throughout the country in unexpected, just without, without actually telling anyone what's happening, um, they just dump these people on our doorstep and the schools and the hospitals and the homeless shelters and the housing is somehow supposed to, to expand to, to fit this problem that is only going to get exponentially worse. Miranda, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. You're absolutely right on your commentary and your, on your article, but I will say this. It starts with the failure of the administration to enforce U.S. immigration law. The president of the United States takes an oath of office to defend and protect the Constitution of the United States and enforce the laws of the United States. They're failing to do this. And Mallorca gets up there day after day and he says the border is secure. And the White House press secretary says the border is secure. 200,000 people a month are coming in. This is an absolute disgrace to what they're doing. Judge, Judge Weinberg, you're a Democrat. Governor Patterson, you're a Democrat. Why is the solution always from the Democrats is to simply throw money at a problem? Why not go to the root cause of the problem? I mean, we're just exacerbating like this issue of the human trafficking, the drug trafficking. And like Miranda said, we're just completing what the drug cartels, the cartels are starting to begin with. Well, the problem, I, I, I can't speak for the governor. I'll speak for myself. The problem is the Democratic Party today 
is under the sway of the extreme radical left. And that's the problem. The Democratic Party that I grew up in is not the Democratic Party we have today. They've lost their moorings. They have no sense of responsibility for protecting and defending this country. That's why this Democratic Party is in trouble. And that's why this election and the 2024 election is so important. Governor? You know, I really think that the problem here is more than just the political position of the party. If you think that it's right to bring people in. In other words, if you want to expand um, the immigration, why are you sneaking people around after they get in? Mm. I think it's because... It smells. I people, don't understand it. It's because people know that uh, people that live in New York City, people live in Washington, D.C., wherever they got bus to, are going to be encumbered by the fact that those people are moving in. So it's actually... Not even a a, a, a a political disagreement as much as it's an integrity that is lacking if you're going to sneak people past the borders and then fly them to all other parts of the country and pretend that it's not happening. Right. And Miranda Devine, you can also talk about the fact that it's not just about housing these migrants. We also have to feed them. We have to educate them. There's a the Medicare, Medicaid that you mentioned. I mean, it goes on and on. This is this is a this an is issue. a burden on the American people. This is a burden on New Yorkers. It's a, and a burden on the country. Enough. Yes. Well, yeah. Immigration. Yes. But we have to know who's coming and going. And do it the right way. You know, my father couldn't get into this country unless he could prove he had. his brothers had to sign on the bottom line that if he couldn't pay the rent, that they would pay it for him. That's right. You have to be. Well, yeah. that's right. I mean, this is this country is built on migration. This is why it's been so successful, but it's always been managed and uh, and we have control over it. This is completely uncontrolled. We don't know who's coming across the border because uh, there are so many gotaways, but also because the border agents are so overwhelmed, they can't do proper, you know, COVID-19 checks, forget about it, but uh, even just proper security checks. They have managed to find, I think this year, it's upwards of 50 uh, people who are on the terrorist watch list. Uh, you can bet that our enemies will be looking at, at the southern border as the weak spot that they will be able to sneak over. Absolutely. Uh, people who mean us. Miranda, yeah. we got to uh, go straight to a breaking news story. Thank you so much. We love you, and thank you for, for, for working so hard for America. God bless you. Thank you. You too. And now breaking news, WABC. And on the line with us right now is investigative reporter extraordinaire of justthenews.com. That's justthenews.com. John Solomon, what latest, greatest breaking news do you have for us today? Oh, it's been a busy news day. Let's start in the White House where President Joe Biden, twice vaccinated, twice boosted, has a mild case of coronavirus. He announced that this morning. So he's isolating at a very important time in his presidency. Uh, there's uh, negotiations going on in Capitol Hill to try to revive some of his stalled agenda, a lot of tension around the world, Iran, Russia. He's going to be sidelined for a couple of days, hopefully not much longer than that. Uh, but uh, our second president now to get coronavirus in three years, obviously President Trump was the first back in October of uh, 2020. So that's uh, dominating a lot of the headlines here tonight. A big televised hearing, perhaps the last hearing of the January 6th commission. They're, uh, they're going to try one more time, House Democrats, to try to convince the American public that Donald Trump 
actually wanted to instigate violence on January 6th. That's their storyline tonight. They're going to push that any way they can. There's just one problem with that. I, I'm sitting looking at a document right now from the Pentagon, from the Pentagon Inspector General, who's a nonpartisan official, who interviewed General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who said this about his meeting with the president the day before January 6th. Um, General Milley told us that at the end of the meeting, President Trump told the Secretary of Defense that there would be a large number of protesters on January 6, 2021, and Mr. Miller should ensure sufficient National Guard or soldiers should be there to make sure it was a safe event. And then the president was assured we've got a plan and we've got it covered. If President Trump was going to instigate violence, why would he offer to send so many troops who could put that violence down in a second? That's the question that the J6 committee will uh, uh, adjourn tonight not having answered for the American people. That's a big one. And then finally, we keep hearing, oh, it was still a pretty good election. First, it was a perfect election in 2020. Now it's not so perfect, but it's still a good election. A big uh, story coming out of the Justice Department today, a large vote buying scheme in Louisiana in both the 2016 and 2020 elections. And the the culprits are two pretty unexpected uh, officials, a police chief and a city council member in the state of Louisiana have pled guilty today to conspiring to pay and offer to pay voters uh, to vote in Louisiana elections in both 2016 and 2020. Uh, Another sign that every time we hear it's a perfect election, there are still flaws that need to be cleaned up. Uh, The Democrats don't want to have that conversation some days, but this is a big one. Uh, The federal charges came from the U.S. Justice Department. Joe Biden's Justice Department brought this case today. That story is getting a lot of attention as well. So John Solomon, Charlie Gasparino, he tweeted this before, the chatter on Capitol Hill that the Democrats will use Joe Biden's COVID diagnosis as an excuse for him to not run in 2024 because he'll suffer bouts of long COVID because of his age. They think this is some sort of face-saving way for him to bow out. Obviously, this is speculation, but this kind of chatter is making the rounds, according to Charlie Gasparino. What do you think about it, and have you heard anything similar? I have not. Uh, you know, there's all been all of these theories about the Democrats dumping Joe Biden. The thing that's going to dump Joe Biden if he gets dumped is going to be his polling numbers. He's at historic lows for any president in American history. And there seems to be downward pressure on the poll numbers, meaning he's going to go lower. At some point, he will be too low to be a viable candidate in 2020, unless he finds a way to score some wins, get some confidence back. But there are some signs that uh, inflation might come down a little bit. That might help going into the fall. Uh, There is a lot of Democrats who don't like Joe Biden. They now feel he's a liability. And uh, these are the same Democrats that put him into power. But I don't hear anything related to this COVID thing. My guess is you're going to see the president up and back around in three and four days. Most people who are vaccinated bounce back in three, four, five days, even when they're older. Anthony Fauci did. Um, So, you know, I haven't heard that. I think that the concern among Democrats that Joe Biden is a drag is very real. I hear that with every Democrat I talk to. I'm not sure COVID's going to give him the perfect excuse to do that. I think he's got to make a decision. Can he run and be viable? If not, you got to get out of the way and let someone else uh, take on the 2024 election. That decision is going to come next year. It's very early to be making decisions like that in 2022. John Solomon, what, what else do you think is important to the American people uh, uh, today? You know, I, I've been doing a lot of work uh, in uh, election integrity, and I think we're learning a lot about what issues still remain to be resolved for 2022 and 2024. And there's a really fun 
um, a drama playing out in Wisconsin, because I think at the end of the day, it's going to settle this issue. The Constitution generally says that the state legislatures have the power to set the rules for elections. But in Wisconsin, there are these unelected bureaucrats on the Wisconsin Election Commission that have now been twice ruled by the state's highest court, their Supreme Court, that they overstepped their bounds. The courts basically told the Wisconsin Election Commission, listen, you can't do a no excuse absentee voting. You can't uh, exempt people from voter ID, the laws of the state, and you can't use um, drop boxes to collect mobile ballots unless the legislature makes a chance. So far, the Wisconsin Election Commission is acting as though it's not going to pay attention to the uh, court's rulings, and they're actually putting a lot of pressure to push back on this. Yesterday, Wisconsin legislature said, you know, enough's enough, and they passed a provision that says uh, this is another one of the changes these unelected bureaucrats want to make. Uh, they're going to, they want to let people who file errant ballots to let the clerk divine what the voter meant to do, fix the ballot, and cast the ballot on behalf of the person who um, uh, filed a, a faulty ballot. Wisconsin lawmakers said, you know what, that is a bridge too far. We're not waiting to 2022 November to litigate this year, not doing it. But this tension between unelected bureaucrats and the legislature, which has the constitutional duty, is playing out in Wisconsin. How it gets settled there, I think, will be a big storyline in America. And, of course, the United States Supreme Court, on its last day in session in June, took on an epic case from North Carolina. It will be decided next year, and it it involves the same uh, question. Does the legislature really have the authority? The Constitution says it does. We will probably head into 2024 with these issues resolved, and I think that's going to be a very interesting dynamic to watch out that probably a lot of people aren't thinking about or talking about. Uh, What's the latest on Steve Bannon? I think it's pretty curious that the prosecution only presented two witnesses in Bannon. He's not putting up any witnesses. What's up with that? Not at all. He he rested without a single witness, didn't put himself on the stand. He, of course, had a lot of bravado before saying, I'm going to make this a big deal. You're going to... He actually went out uh, without any witnesses, uh, without wasting any time. I think his defense is going to try to use the same defense that Michael Sussman did with the D.C. jury a few weeks ago when he got acquitted uh, in the John Durham investigation. And that is, listen, folks, we're sorry to have wasted your time. This is a political dispute between Congress and Steve Bannon. It's not a matter for the courts or the legal system. We're sorry we wasted your time. And see if the jury nods at that saying, this is like not worth our time. That's a big risk, big gambit, because juries in D.C. tend to lean very to the left. Steve Bannon is anything to the left. He's very conservative, uh, and he's a lightning rod for liberals. But I, they've made a calculated decision here. We're going to find out in a couple of days whether that pays off or not. Uh, last question, uh, John Solomon. Uh, we had Rona McDaniel, McDaniel uh, on last week, and we talked to her sure. about uh, voter fraud going forward. Uh, yeah. Are we taking enough precautions? She says they're hiring thousands of lawyers to be at key voters' booths. Uh, Are we doing enough to make sure that every American feels they're getting an honest count? That is a great question because you continue to see polling data. I think there was new polling data just today from CNN that shows that Americans are increasingly distrustful that they're going to get honest election results in the future. That is a earth-shattering problem we have to solve because America's entire government rests on our confidence in elections. So there is a perception among the voters that has become a reality among many voters. It is a real problem. I I think the Glenn Youngkin model, the 2021 model, where Republicans went in, resolved all the issues before election day, had really trained um, uh, observers, and it went flawlessly, and a Republican won in a Democratic state. Nobody cried foul. The Democrats didn't cry foul. The Republicans didn't. That's the model that uh, Ronna McDaniel and others are trying to emulate. 
It's probably what we should have had in 2020. We didn't have that apparatus in place, even though there were lots of promises. I see a lot of evidence. You see uh, in Florida, Ron DeSantis and others doing more to get trained people and get make sure every precinct, no matter where it is, is covered with a trained observer. I think a lot of lessons were learned for 2020. We were a little flabby and, and unattentive, un- inattentive in 2020. I think we're going to head into the fall of 2022, in the fall, uh, fall of 2024, with a lot more trained observers. That's the first line of defense. And the second line of defense is to do what's going on in Wisconsin now, which is don't wait to after Election Day to litigate these disputes over what the rules of the election are. Get them resolved now. And I think you see that going on in Georgia, in North Carolina, in Florida, Texas, and, uh, and now Wisconsin. I think those things, two things may increase a little bit of confidence in the next two election results. We'll have to wait and see. But a lot of uh, lessons learned and a lot more activity going on to buck up the confidence of Americans when they cast their next ballots. Well, thank you so much, John Solomon. Again, that's justthenews.com, justthenews.com. Thank you, John, and come back anytime. Thank you. My pleasure, guys. Have a good day. Well, we're back. Now, now that we're trying to solve Washington's problems, how are we going to solve New York's problems? Uh, with us today uh, is uh, a good friend of mine, Matt Douse's, uh, a partner. With the, he was a partner and... He's a former DOT commissioner. We're going to talk that's about it. congestion right. pricing, which is another tax basically that's on anybody. The, Lydia, that's why you do the introduction. <laughs> that's okay. It's another tax. I mean, how much more can we possibly take? We're not just talking about New Yorkers, but anybody coming into Midtown Manhattan. Oh. Now, uh, they're trying to use the excuse, and then we're going to get down to the facts. The, the MTA is trying to use the excuse Give us the congestion pricing. Make eight, make eight and a half million people uncomfortable because uh, when they go down to Midtown to see their doctor or, or lawyer or whatever, Work. they they have to pay through the nose. And the MTA is going to take the money and said, someday we're going to build the the, the uh, subway up to hundred from ninety sixth Street to one hundred twenty fifth Street. That's what we're going to use the money for. To me, that's a lot of crap. <laughs> Matt Dallas, what say you? <laughs> yeah, so um, just to clarify, I was the taxi commissioner for the longest TLC, TLC. Uh, yes. If I was DOT or MTA, I would have done a lot of stuff to help the city, but um, that ship is flung. Uh, what I can tell you is that, you know, a lot of things we're not talking about, John, is how much money has been collected to date and what has been done with it. You know, since... I think around 2019, February, the MTA has collected close to a billion dollars to be 918 million to be exact as of, um, you know, earlier this year through April. And that's in addition to the congestion toll that's going to come at some point for all passenger vehicles. So Uber, taxi, uh, all these different passengers have paid the MTA close to a billion dollars. This is the competitors of the MTA. On top of that, they're estimating that people are going to be charged between nine and twenty-three dollars, depending on how you know the, the board comes up with their final decision once this finally gets implemented. And that's going to bring in an additional billion on top of what the four hire vehicles and taxis have, and, and Ubers have been charged, right? So now we're talking about one point five billion coming in. Congestion has exceeded. It's pre-pandemic level. So we are still getting these car, these vehicles into the city. Um, I, I have three things to say about congestion pricing. 
aside from the, you know, the inequities that are concerning a lot of people right now. Um, number one, you know, if the goal is to get people to use the subways, you need to not throw the, the good money at bad stuff and old problems. You need to innovate and you need to help the system. Number one, people are not going to take the subways anymore if you can't get the crime problem under control. So I would say congestion pricing, this money, it should be put in a lockbox and it should be used for exclusively for crime fighting purposes, cameras in the subways, whatever other initiatives that the mayor and the MTA come up with. Number two, the accessorized system is broken. It's time to get it fixed. Have e-hails for everybody. Everyone who's disabled in the city should not have to pay a congestion fee. I, and the Matt money Dows, from congestion pricing. I agree with you 100 percent. But which politician do you trust that's going to do that? Well, I don't Ju- know. If I Judge trust Weinberg. Judge Weinberg has been in politics for a hundred years. <laughs> right after the War of eighteen twelve, no, you I started. Thought. You started right after Cindy Adams. <laughs> Matt, this is. Uh, hey, Judge, I didn't know you were on the line. Good Matt, to hear your voice. Matt, wait, this, I defer. Uh, wait, Judge Weinberg defers to Governor Patterson. Go ahead, Governor. Matt, how are you? Governor, hey David, how's it? How are you doing, Governor? Uh, I, Good to see you again. We haven't gotten together in a long time. Uh, uh, no. My question is, why does the MTA? want to funnel this money back to extend the Second Avenue subway from 96th Street to 125th Street on the east side of Manhattan when it was part of the original plan and they took it off the table in 2013 and then refused to listen to anybody about it. And now it's almost as if they want someone else to pay for the fact that they didn't plan correctly. That's, I, I agree with you 110%. And to that point, Governor, you and I worked on trying to get the accessorized system to use when you were there, the e-hails and, and, and getting people with disabilities to get better service. That system still needs to be fixed a little bit better. But we're throwing bad you know, Matt, money at bad things. Matt, you know, it's Richard Weinberg. Listen. Stuck in, in dealing with silo planning, putting money into new buses and subways, what they should be doing is to put the money into servicing low-income people by having commuter vans and shuttles subsidized in the outer reaches of the city and transportation deserts. It doesn't cost that much money to do that. Of the $1.5 billion a year, you could take 500 to, uh, you could take maybe, um, you know, 50 to 100 million. And people who are in two or three fare zones who have to take an Uber to get to the train, okay, and, and are putting all this money out of their pockets they're not. They're going to not be incentivized to take the subway. These people are now driving in because they're afraid to take the subways. In fact, MTA acknowledged through their surveys that more people are on the buses now, Matt, and they're using taxis. Matt, can I get a word in? Got fifty no. seconds. All right. Listen, it's very simple. This is a tax on working people coming to the city. It will hurt economic development by bringing these people in. It's going to hurt the residents yeah. here. It's going to cause more pollution. It's going to cause more congestion. It's a bad idea. It's just a gimmick to subsidize the MTA. Just when we're trying to get New York City back now, we have to go to a hard break. Thank you so much, Matt Dow's coming back. We will have a business report from Lou Dobbs.
If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. We still got a great show for everyone. Keep it right here. We're going to speak to Dr. Mark Siegel, Paul Lunsis. And now on the line for, with us, we have Susan Birnbaum. She's the executive director of the Police Foundation. How are you, Susan? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Great. So what did you want to talk to us about? Hopefully some good news. We were here at W, you know, we want to support the police. They, they need all the support they can get. And you do. You guys are great friends of the police and we appreciate you, um, you know, supporting the police community. Um, but I did want to share some good news because it seems we hear a lot of bad news these days and it's nice to share good news. Um, last night, the Police Foundation and Mutual of America were proud to host over 125 guests um, at the Police Commissioner's Commitment to Excellence Award Ceremony, which recognized lots of NYPD unsung heroes. And we were very proud to be able to support this ceremony and bring together uh, uh, police who we were honoring and their families. And one of the nicest parts about this is that the families were there and we could honor their families. And some of the uh, honorees included members of the Detective Bureau who were detectives who uh, resulted in charges brought against the serial killer, the Crime Stoppers Unit, which you guys support. Um, we honored them for their support in, in finding the, mass, the subway mass shooter, and then a detective who solved the murder of a seven-year-old girl. And we also honored members of the Community Affairs Bureau for doing all of their work with our options program and young people, police and youth, bringing them together, as you know, very important. And our canine handlers, we love our dogs, emotional support dogs. So we were very proud to do this. Um, you may have heard the police commissioner talk about her commitment, not only to members of the department, but also to their families. And that's why this event was so special, because we could honor all of these unsung heroes. You may not hear about them a lot, but they're doing great work. So they, Ed Cox here. Uh, Susan, what's the morale in the in the police department now? I, because of the uh, the change in the bail laws and from Albany and because they no longer stop and frisk, you got a monitor of that who shouldn't be there because the de Blasio wouldn't appeal the ruling by the judge. You talk, talk of all the burdens that are being put on the police department. What's the morale at the moment? Well, you know, the police commissioner is really committed to improving the morale in the department, and she is extremely supportive of all members of the department. And, you know, look, it's, uh, it's tough times, but they're doing their job. What else would you like to tell? We, we have a minute left. Uh, what else would you like to tell people? I just want people to know that the police are out there working hard. We need to come together as New Yorkers and as a community and support our police. Thank them for the hard work they're doing. Look, we're all part of this together, as you know, uh, John. We're all in this together. And, uh, you know, we all have to do our part to uh, bring New York back, 
to make sure we uh, have a safer city. Well, we stand side by side uh, with you, uh, Susan Birnbaum, and uh, uh, thank you for everything you do. Thank you for supporting our police department and uh, the police foundation. How much is your budget now? About $10 million. Wow, that's a lot of support for the uh, uh, NYPD. Thank you, and uh, we stand next to you and behind you, and and we want to help and uh, uh, And always count on WABC for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And now on the line with us, we have Dr. Mark Siegel. Dr. Siegel, we were just talking before, first case of polio in how long in Rockland County? What the heck is going on? It's the first case in New York State uh, since 1990. And there was a case in the United States of 2013, but what those cases are, are not, in, not from here. They didn't originate it here. They, they originated from travel. And in this case, this case came from overseas, too. And from the look of the virus, and this is very interesting, Lydia, this was somebody overseas who had gotten the Sabin vaccine, which is the oral polio vaccine. It's a live virus vaccine. And sometimes... It actually transmits the live virus, though quite weakened. Unfortunately, somebody here in the United States was unvaccinated against polio and got it and got paralyzed and got in the hospital. And that's so it ends up being a message to get that polio vaccine when you're a young child. The one we actually give here in the U.S. is the Salk vaccine, which is a killed, completely killed virus injection. And Jonas Salk was, by the way, an NYU graduate. So I'm particularly fond of this story. Uh, now to the other big story of the day regarding medical news. Biden, he has COVID. Uh, I was just hearing something that the White House already declared him not to be contagious. I mean, h- how do they even know that? He's taking Paxlovid. Is that the right course of treatment for someone his age? 79 years old. Uh, he could have gotten monoclonal antibodies. There's one, uh, and, and someone on, in this group knows about it, that literally works very well against these emerging subvariants that are out there. Uh, he, as far as I know, and it, that question was asked to Ashish Jha, he wasn't given that. Uh, he's had four vaccine shots, including two boosters, most recently in March. I think that plays a role at decreasing the severity here. Paxlovid um, actually works. It's gotten a lot of negative news lately because of rebound, but rebound is most of the cases I haven't seen that. And if you get rebound, I can treat you with a second course, or I can treat it for more than five days. But what it does is it stops the virus from reproducing, and it decreases your risk of being hospitalized from this virus by 90%. Big picture, we're dealing with variants that themselves aren't severe because they don't go deep into your lungs. It's upper respiratory, but when you get it, you feel pretty sick. The combination of the vaccine or having had COVID previously, which he did not, plus this drug actually predict a much milder course. And I think he's going to do fine. 79 years old, he has heart issues. You know, he has a heart rhythm issue. They had to stop his heart thinner, uh, blood thinner. They didn't have to, but they decided to. That puts him at a slight risk of a problem, but probably you know, low risk. Dr. Siegel, Ed Cox, why didn't they also do the monoclonal uh, antibody treatment? Uh, you know, look, he's the president of the United States. Uh, I know Trump had that. I don't pack And, and, and nobody, ha- nobody would object. Yeah. The tolovimab, the one that we have now, see, I got that tongue twister out. That one uh, is, works well against the BA5, as far as we know. Uh, and, and, and I was surprised, too. I thought he would get that, actually. I thought he would get that. The answer what came back, it's because it's a mild case. But uh, either or, either Paxlovid or well, Beptolemab, b- b- 
TOEFL and Vermont both work well, and I would have thought the president would get both. I, I, would, I agree with you 100%. Uh, doctor, there was a big article today in the New York Times about the new BA5 virus that uh, basically, if I read through it real fast, that uh, uh, it's very easily catchable, mm-hmm. but nobody's dying from it. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything else you, uh, you'd like to say about it? Yeah, that the the people who are vaccinated or had uh, or or get these oral drugs or the or the monoclonal antibodies do better. They stay out of the hospital. So there's there's very few people are dying of this. And by the way, the other headline is it's not 150,000 cases a day. It's more like a million when you count all those rapid tests that nobody's talking about that nobody reports. Right. So who knows who who actually gets it or not? But but it, it, it it's a lot more cases, meaning a lot more mild cases. And but I think that he, that's a big message out he, there. By the he, way, John Casamitidis, uh reads the New York Times very quickly, but more slowly on the Washington on the uh, Wall Street Journal. <laughs> <laughs> Let the record be clear, Doctor. Uh, is right now, if you get tested for the virus, what are they actually testing? They say the the positive rate has gone up to fifteen percent. But are they, attest- are they testing the original virus, or are they testing BA5? Well, they can't distinguish, and they have to do genetic testing to be able to tell. Uh, this variant, they can't tell. And, and whether you're talking about a PCR test or a rapid test, they're just saying that you have the virus. I, I don't use the PCR as much as I used to, you know, because if you, the way you can actually do this is if you're really suspicious that someone has Omicron, you repeat the rapid test a few times. And then, and then eventually it will turn positive in a day or two, two or three times. I, I, I don't usually need to do the PCR test. What are you, any other advice you want to give uh, all our listeners? I mean, we got almost a million listeners at this time. Yeah, which is not a surprise. Well, did you notice that the photographer was wearing an N95 mask, but the president wasn't? I think it's time that we, first of all, have a consistent message. Secondly, the word mandate should be out of the language instead of this idea of bringing it back. I think we need to push for updated vaccines, and I think we have to stop punishing society and return to whatever normal we have left. What do you think? I couldn't agree more. I was at the pool a few days ago with my friend and her daughter never had an issue with speaking. She actually started speaking very early. Now, all of a sudden, she needs speech therapy. All these kids need speech therapy for articulation. And all of us moms who were talking about it, it's because of the masks. They've been they've been masked up. And that's how kids learn how to speak is by listening and watching lips. And it's really done a detriment to so many children, all of this masking. And at what cost? If somebody could actually teach speech therapy when someone's wearing a mask, I want to give them a big prize. I don't think it's possible. Uh, Doctor, we have one minute left. We have a hard break at 545 today. Uh, Tell us anything else you want to tell the uh, American people. Well, first of all, you're listening to a great show here, and it's not a mistake that it, there's, there's almost a million listeners or more. And I want to tell the American public just what Lydia just said. It's time to focus on the next pandemic, which is the mental health pandemic, and the idea that we've had all of these restrictions for, for so much of the period of time that we're not what we were, and we've got to get back to where we are, and we've got to get back to living our lives. And we could wish the president well, by the way, and a great recovery, but he certainly made a mess of the country and, and, and our foreign policy. So I think people got to get back to work. I would also urge one last message. For people that are working from home, you know, just Lydia's message is also true about work, not just school, interacting with other people, looking in their eyes, shaking their hands, buying them a drink, the way John Casamitidis buying me dinner all the time. That's great. And one of these days I may treat him. 
Wait, wait, you left out, you, you left out breakfast. Oh, right. Well, that's amazing. Those uh, Are you coming to breakfast, made... doctor? We need to know. You bet I'll be there. And every week there's a great speaker. He he brought the Suffolk County DA one week, and that's protecting me out here. I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> well, Doctor Siegel, thank you for everything you you do and you say to keep our people going and, and keeping them alive. Uh, God bless you, and we'll see you Saturday morning for breakfast. You bet I'll be there, John, and thank you for your big heart. And everybody, thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to come back with – to find out what's going on in Wall Street and what's going on in the economy with Paul Lunsis. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We're back, and uh, with us today is Paul Lunsis, uh, an investment counselor, and uh, a, and a um, uh, what else do you do, Paul? He's one smart guy. <laughs> He's part of the Breakfast Club, John. <laughs> the New York Breakfast Club and sometimes the Southampton Breakfast Club. That's right, yep. Paul, what the heck is going on in the economy? What's going on in the markets? Uh, give us your pulse of things. I think, John, you know, just looking at the stock market and how that's responding, you know, it was up a little bit today. The Dow is up, you know, oh, half of 1%. The S&P was up almost 1%. The NASDAQ up one and a half, almost 1.5%. Um, people were in uncharted territory. And we've never dealt with a Fed that had a balance sheet this big, $9 trillion, um, people are very, very concerned about the continued rise in inflation. They're battling inflation by trying to raise interest rates. Um, they meet July 26th and 27th. Are they going to do 75 basis points? Is it plausible they could even do 100? Because inflation, you know, both producer prices and the CPI exceeded what they had anticipated. So we're in ch- uncharted territory, and there's a lot of uncertainty out there in a lot of different areas. I, I know on my last interview, I, I said that you better do less than 50 basis points. Otherwise, the the real estate industry is going to go to crap. Yeah, housing's really being impacted, and you could see you could see John uh, in the in the bank earnings. Um, the banks on the net interest income side, they're doing well because rates are going up and they're lending. On the other hand, their non-interest income businesses, mortgage originations, both refis and original. Um, they've, they're, they're, they're laying off people. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, they're laying off people. So the real estate market's really being impacted in terms of you know people buying. And what's happening, and I think you addressed this earlier, John, in a prior interview, and that's rentals. You know, rental is really escalating because people aren't, you know, don't want to take out the higher interest rate mortgages, so they're renting. What's a 30-year thir- mortgage right now? It's, it's approaching five and a half. Um, five and a half percent, John, and depends on, you know, what mortgage company, but 30 year mortgage, you know, went up a little bit today. Um, and that's up a lot. It was, it, it's doubled. It was 265, um, a year ago. So Paul Ed Cox here, there are some economists who feel that in order to beat inflation, especially where it's caused by the huge increase of the money supply, that you have to have interest rates that are more than inflation. That means double or triple where short-term interest rates are now. What does that do for the economy? Yep, I agree with you. know, historically, at everything you're saying is accurate. Um, and you know, the ten-year Treasury under three percent today. I don't know what the right number is. You know, should it be where inflation is eight percent, nine percent? But it certainly shouldn't be under three percent. 
Um, it's just look. It, no one really knows. I don't think the Fed. They they came late uh, to fight inflation. Um, they're now going to start doing the doing the balance sheet. It's going to get to 95 billion in September. They're so concerned about what that's going to do for liquidity, so they only are going to do 47 and a half billion um, in June, July, and August. There's just uh, there's an enormous amount of uncertainty out there everywhere. And as and as inflation is going higher than wages are going up, that means people are having harder time meeting ends meet, right? Yeah, and John's addressed that so many times. They're really, really, you know, this war on fossil fuels. Uh, natural gas, and particularly oil, they're basically harming the middle class and the lower middle class, those that can least afford what's happening, food and energy. Um, you know, they're having to make very difficult decisions um, on how they're going to survive. So if you have inflation and you keep increasing rates, you're going to have a recession, right? Correct. And, Correct. So, and when you see Ed, Ed, when you see the two-year and the ten-year historically, when the two-year exceeds the ten-year historically, um, that typically pre- precedes a recession. So, and if that's you have the case now, but that, but inflation doesn't. It takes time for to get ring the inflation out of the economy, and in the process, you got stagflation, you got a recession, you got inflation at yeah, the same but, time. But Ed. I said to everybody, I know we're coming up on a break in the next 30 seconds, is that if we spent trillions of dollars on getting over COVID, can't we wait on raising the rates before, before we make a mistake? That's a great point, John. That's a great point. All right. All right. Thank you, uh, Paul Luntzis. Thank you so much. And we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll, we'll be right back. Thank you. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. And John, you developed this show to get the truth out and to save New York and save the country. We're trying to save New York State. Governor Hochul, she is running for governor. I want to ask all the men here in the room, does it immediately disqualify Governor Hochul for being the governor of New York State? The fact that she has yet to speak up about what happened well, to Jose Alba, like, all the shootings and all of everything else going on. I like Governor Hochul. She's a tough Irish lady. But it's going to come down to, I think, in November. Who, whom do you trust to keep New Yorkers safe after the election? So I want to go to uh, uh, Judge Weinberg, then Ed Cox, then Governor uh, Patterson. Uh, whom do you trust? I mean, you know, look, Governor Hochul has to convince them because if she doesn't do anything by November— if she doesn't kick butt to the state Senate and state assembly, then why should people trust her? Am I losing my mind, Judge? We were at that pal luncheon, oh, and she said that she was going to do something with the bail reform and give the judges discretion. What has she done? Okay. Uh, she said that she was going to do it as part of the budget process. She, uh, Let's say she had a good faith effort. She tried to do it. She didn't accomplish it. Number one, the first thing you have to do if you're going to save this city and this state is you have to give judges discretion to hold people in on dangerousness. We're the only state, as I've said before, that doesn't allow judges that discretion. Number two, you have to go back and use quality of life policing and stop inquire and frisk and, and do that. It's very, very important. Next, 
the discovery laws impede the ability to prosecute cases and cases being dismissed because they created a law where you have to turn over the open files in too short a period of time. It can't be done. They just can't do it. Next, they changed the law with respect to the age. So you treat it as a juvenile and go to family court and up until uh, 18. That's wrong because a lot of the shooters, a lot of dangerous gang activities are from the kids, the 15, 16, and 17-year-olds. And they're so being that's exploited mistake. by so, the gangs. So yeah, now we go know, to Ed Cox. She knows that she, she could – in fact, that would be good politics for her if she would say that. But she's not willing to say that. She also knows it's not going to fly with the legislature. And, the, and, she, and Ed, and, that's exactly right. And the biggest problem we have here is we have a legislature – both the Senate and the Assembly are in the sway of the radical left who will not let them make changes to these disastrous laws. But, but ask why who hasn't you, she ask fired Alvin trust. Bragg? Ask who you trust. She could do one thing right Nobody now if she wanted her. to. She, no, she could fire Bragg. Bragg. Exactly. And that is her. She has yet to even speak and out against him. that was set an example. It would straighten up all the DAs who are, especially here in New York City, who well, are going they, down they the liberals. They did that in San Francisco line. and it looks like it's working out. Governor David Patterson, I, I know you don't want to get in trouble with all the Democrats, but tell me how you really feel. I have two words. Tell million people. Stay tuned. Okay, we'll take it. Oh. We'll oh. take it. Is that a Let, good stay listen, tuned or a bad stay not, tuned? Governor, you know I'm not against Democrats. I'm not against Republicans. I just want, I want our city to live on. I want our city to be safe. And I want our 66 million tourists to come back. That's what I want. That's right. I mean, I don't care about any other issue, but I think if we don't fix New York and make it safe for all all the eight and a half million people, or it comes down to are you pro eight and a half million New Yorkers or are you pro three thousand violent criminals? That's and, exactly and, right. We, what we have to do is you have to rescind the closing down of Rikers. You can use Rikers effectively. You can clean it up. You can give drug treatment programs there, mental health programs. You should not be putting them in stable middle-class communities. And what's the point of the cops doing their job? They have a record number of gun arrests, and the people are just being let go. We have to stop with this revolving door of justice. And we're at the end of the show. Uh, And uh, thank you, Judge Weinberg, Ed Cox, Governor Patterson, uh, Lydia Serrani. And what do we stand for? Truth. Truth. Justice and the American way. way. Stay tuned.